Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Hot Dog Eating Contest Contestant. Mr. Hot Dog Eating Contest Contestant. What does it take to eat two dozen hot dogs in 12 minutes? Determination, fortitude, and a complete disregard for what they actually put in a hot dog. Open wide! How many times have we said, sure, one hot dog is nice, but 47 more would really hit the spot? Get me to a bathroom! What's for dessert? Nine pounds of antacids, one bleeding ulcer, and seven hours of routine angioplasty. My left arm feels tingly. So crack open an ice cold Bud Light, old diplomat of the dog, because our appetite for you will never be satisfied. Mr. Hot Dog Eating Contest. Bud Light Beer, Anna, Super St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, it just shows what teeth gritting determination can do. Who's our next teeth gritting hero? Who's up next? You are. Grit your teeth, Charlie Brown. Just do what you told all the others. Grit your teeth and get ahead. Good grief. Ooh, come on, Charlie Brown, hit it. For once in your life, hit it. Wouldn't you like just for once to see Charlie hit the ball? No, I'm not prepared to have the world come to an end. Wetland one more time set, and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez down. The fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back, and it is. Get out the line, right in the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a grand salami, and the Mariners lead it 10-6. to six. I don't believe it. From high atop the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex and straight out of God's country, Pauly's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kagalaki, half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, Seamheads? What's juicy? Surprise! Yeah, <laughs> I kept this one under the hat for the most part. This is an unexpected BKP ambush. If you were running point right now, you just got your head chopped off, and like the rest of your boys are running confused throughout the jungle. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Jake the Snake Robinson coming out of the palatial Robin Gearing Studio Complex with a special bonus show today, baby. What's going on? What's cracking? And here's the deal. Uh, let me explain to you why I jumped out of the bushes on you just now. I've been on a doctor-forced vacation since my hernia surgery, and I'm kind of going stir-crazy, just sitting around watching Community and The Mandalorian all day. So I started going through all my emails, text messages, and you know all that stuff from the great listeners, which, by the way, thank you. 
Thank you so very much. I am truly a blessed man. You don't want that smoke. Thanks, bro. But one of my emails was from Mark in Burlington, Vermont. Big Red Sox fan, faithful listener. And he sent me some really cool art of uh, Charlie Brown on the, you know, on the mound. You know, some of these pictures of him where he's pitching. Um, and he's, t- you know, he's being undressed by Lon Jai smashes up the box. It, it was amazing work. And I began thinking how influential Charlie Brown was to my personal baseball fandom and experience growing up. And to be honest, I was one of the biggest fans of the Peanuts. And looking back in many ways as a kid, I was living vicariously through Charlie Brown and his baseball stories. They, they weren't corny like Family Circus. I was just a huge fan of the Peanuts, especially when they played baseball. And I also love that the adults were never understandable. I thought that was pretty cool. As well as the relationship between Woodstock and Snoopy. And let's face it, there's still something endearing to me about kids playing baseball. And it takes me back to my childhood when I would practically beg all these kids to play baseball in my neighborhood. You know, like many kids of my Gen X demographics, I had my own gang of peanuts. I was trying to rustle up to play a game. I had Robbie, Chris, Mike, Kim, Crystal, Stevie. And I rarely see kids playing baseball in the streets like when I was a kid. And the peanuts baseball team was just relatable for me. I also always saw a lot of Charlie Brown and me when I was first learning how to play baseball. I played on a lot of terrible teams. I struck out a lot. I failed a lot. I mean, we lost a shit ton of games. But I loved the game, and I kept playing, and eventually, I got better, as did my teammates. No matter how bad Charlie gets shellacked and undressed on the mound, he never gives up. And on some level, I understood that as a kid. And baseball is different than any other sport in that way. You're going to fail way more than you will succeed. And other sports may be much more physical than baseball, but no American team sport demands more mental toughness than baseball does. You have to be able to handle failure. And then you got to be able to come back tomorrow and try to be better. And that is the attitude that makes Charlie Brown the pitcher the baseball player, so special to me. He just fucking gets it. So, I'm looking at all this art, and it hits me. I gotta believe no one has ever done a podcast on Charlie Brown, the baseball player, and the baseball fan. And once I get a thought, it consumes me. I become obsessed. I start combing through all of the art, the clips, and the videos. And Charlie Brown has a hell of a baseball story. And... I've decided to add his story to our collection here at Backwards K-Pods. And when the Cubs finally won the World Series in 2016, after 108 years of mediocrity and futility, they set their label, the lovable losers, conceding that moniker back to Charlie Brown and his ragtag Peanuts crew. In fact, the public shaming the Cubs sustained during those 108 years. It pales 
in comparison to the collective collapses that the Peanuts suffered with their ball-headed leader at the helm as player and manager. As the team ace, Charlie Brown has command issues. And the opposing teams, while they believe in exit velo and analytics, as Charlie is literally undressed on the mound, usually down to his boxers if he's lucky. His second baseman, Linus, has defensive lapses and continuously trips over a security blanket that he always carries around with him. Uh, Linus's older sister, Lucy, she may be the worst right fielder I've ever seen in my life. I mean, she doesn't have a very good attitude either. She makes Bobby Bonilla look like Roberto Clemente and right. You feel me? The catcher, Schroeder, Schrader, uh, he's autistic. Today, he would be classified as having Asperger's syndrome. He literally has no interest in physical or personal relationships and is extremely uncomfortable around people. A fact that Lucy tries to exploit by pre- pretending she has a crush on him. Uh, but, you know, this kid, he's got Rube Baker's disease in that he is unable to throw the ball back to the pitcher. So, he usually just walks it back to Charlie after every freaking pitch. Good grief. In fact, I think I have some tape here of uh, Schroeder going through the signs of Charlie Brown before he played the Pepper and Patty team. Let me see what we got here. All right, Charlie Brown. Let's get our signal straight. One finger will mean the high straight ball. Two fingers will mean the low straight ball. What about my curveball? And my slider? And my knuckleball? And my sidearm? And my submarine pitch? One finger will mean the high straight ball. And two fingers will mean the low straight ball. And that's the way you got to be with Charlie Brown because he's got a little bit of an ego there sometimes. Uh, the best player on the team is Charlie Brown's pet beagle, the shortstop, Snoopy. He's got a hell of a bat, but he's unable to throw with his arms. He usually spits the ball across the field to get outs. And there's often infighting on the peanuts. Several of the players, they call their own manager Blockhead. And even though his Sandlot career has been haunted by inconsistency, inconsistency and setbacks, Charlie Brown may love the game of baseball more than anyone I've ever known, including myself. He is passionate and he is hopeful. His hope truly springs eternal as he constantly picks himself up, gets dressed again, and looks forward to tomorrow's game in hopes of finally tasting the sweet nectar of winning a baseball game. He never gives up. He never blames others. And for all the time the team likes to break his balls, he believes in all of them. Even Lucy, who again, was a complete wasted roster spot. And he can't throw the dugout for crying out loud. His fight, his tenacity, his perseverance is what makes Charlie Brown one of my favorite ball players in American culture. His average sits at 204, which isn't horrible for a pitcher. His losing streak as a pitcher it dwarfs Anthony Young's record. Some of his errors have been so catastrophic, he had to call Bill Buckner a couple, couple times to talk him off the ledge. And according to a peanut strip that ran in a November 1950 newspaper, Charlie Brown was born October 3rd, 1946. Now, there are some birther irregularities for Charlie. On April 3rd, 1971, he tells Linus he will turn 21 in 1984, which would make him at least 11 years older than me. 
it is estimated that his recorded baseball career in the comics are his age 8 to 10 years old seasons. Much of Charlie Brown's home life has always been shrouded in mystery. We know that his father was a barber and his mother was a homemaker. He, was a, he has a younger sister named Sally that he loves very much and is very protective of. As well as the, the aforementioned dog Snoopy. I could not find any information on where exactly the Browns live other than Sparkyville, USA, which is written on some mail in one of the stories. But it has a cold enough climate that, you know, they got these snowy winters. And my prevailing theory is that the Peanuts most likely lived in the Minneapolis area. That's based loosely and entirely on the fact that Charlie Brown once said that his address is 1770 James Street, which was a few houses down from the creator, George Schultz, in real life growing up in Minnesota. Schultz's nickname as a kid was Sparky, thus the Sparkyville, USA reference. Often you might see Charlie Brown in the winter, standing upon a snow-blanketed mound, dreaming of future glory, only to have that bitch Lucy give him some passive-aggressive snide remark to smash his dream. You know, this, this broad right here, she's going to make some dude's life real long. I almost caught her at see you next Tuesday. I mean, she is. Don't forget, you know, it's goddamn uh, Lucy who always pulls the ball away from Charlie when he's about to kick off the football game and causes him to fall. I asked Charlie Brown, who is now in his 70s, we think. Now, he's like Satchel Paige. No one really knows how old he is. I asked him to tell me about his childhood. He told me times were much simpler then. We didn't have cell phones or video games. I certainly wasn't sticking around the house for my mom to give me chores. So me and Snoop, we'd just go outside and play. And I wish more kids did that today. Charlie was something of a renaissance kid during his time. Always trying new things. He completed his spelling bees. He was once a foreign exchange student to France. He spent numerous summers in summer camp with the gang. And he participated in a range of diverse sports such as motocross, track and field, football. But Charlie's number one love was, and always will be, the game of baseball. He developed this love for the game at an early age, collecting baseball cards and watching the games on TV. And like every fan, Charlie had a favorite player. His favorite player is a little-known Joe Shiabotnik, a semi-pro ball player from his neighborhood that went to a school. Shiabotnik had small stints with the Pirates and the Cards and then disappeared. Charlie once found out that Lucy had a mint-conditioned Shiabotnik baseball card and actually offered every card in his collection, including his pride and joy, Mickey Mantle. But she refused to trade. And a crestfallen Charlie Brown walked away in disappointment just before Lucy throws the card in the trash because she concluded that Shia Botnick is not as cute as she first thought he was. Man, she's a fucking bitch. In 1964, Shia Botnick is sent down to the minors to play in Stumptown in the Green Grass League. And in spite of the fact that Shia Botnick had a lowly .004 batting average, Charlie, always the optimist, is convinced that his hero would make it back to the big leagues. So, he became the president of the Joe Shia Botnick fan club. While serving that role, he published a newsletter to keep the fans abreast about Shia Botnick's comeback. 
But the only problem is, he only published one newsletter, though, when he found out that he's the only member of the club. On two separate occasions, Charlie was to meet his hero, but Scheinbachman got lost driving to the banquet. Twice. Charlie finally did meet his idol, but it was under the usual humiliating circumstances for the boy and his hero. Upon his retirement as a player, Scheinbachman is hired to manage the Wappleton Syrups. But he is fired after just one game when he calls for a suicide squeeze with no one on third base. And Shiabognik, he's on the bus, out of the Waffle Town bus station, Charlie Brown runs up to his window, hands him a ball to sign. As the bus begins to drive away, Shiabognik throws the ball out the window to Charlie, who misses the ball and it hits him in the head, and he was unconscious for a good five minutes. Alas, Charlie Brown did get the ball. And it's among his most prized possessions to this day. Charlie's favorite team is and always will be the San Francisco Giants. In December 22nd, 1962, peanut strip, Charlie Brown screams, Why couldn't McCovey just hit the ball three feet higher? Lamenting Game 7 of the 1962 World Series between the Yankees and the Giants. With a one nothing Yankee lead in the bottom of the ninth, and with uh, Matty Alou on third with two outs, McCovey scorches a line drive smash that second baseman Bobby Richardson snags at shoulder height to end the Giants' chance for the world title. Another time Charlie lost the spelling bee is when he was told to spell the word maze, as in M-A-Z-E. But his head was in the clouds, and he was thinking about the Giants, and he misspelled it, M-A-Y-S, after his other hero, Willie Mays. In 1966, the made-for-TV Charlie Brown All-Star Special aired. Again, Charlie and his ragtag peanuts lose opening day by a score of 123 to nothing. The entire team, tired of the humiliation, they quit in Moss. But they decide to come back when the hardware store owner, Mr. Hennessy, offers to sponsor the team and buy them fresh uniforms. But there's a caveat to Mr. Hennessy's offer. He tells Charlie that, according to league rules, no girls or dogs are allowed to play in the team. Out of loyalty to the gang and his dog, Charlie Brown refuses the sponsorship and the new gear. But he's afraid, however, that you know the team might quit again. His team is so excited about the new uniforms that he is convinced they will play better because of them and they will win the next game. So, he decides not to tell the game until they are so intoxicated by the victory that they're just not going to care. And it looked like Charlie's player was going to work. With two out in the ninth, Snoopy hits a single, then promptly steals second, third, and home to bring the Peanuts within a run to tie it. Charlie Brown cuts the ball in half and hits a shot in the outfield gap. Inspired by Snoopy's cutting and speed on the base pass, he decides to put his wheels to work. He steals second. He steals third. But he's thrown out at home trying to steal for the game's final out. In the aftermath of the defeat, the team abandons Charlie Brown again when they find out there will be no uniforms. Eventually, Linus tells the girls on the team and Snoopy why Charlie Brown declined the new uniforms in the first place. The gang, after acknowledging the selflessness of Charlie, 
Jake Linus' security blanket and sew a jersey for Charlie Brown with the words, Our Manager, emblazoned on it. And they rejoined the team in a rare show of respect and appreciation for Charlie Brown. Many numerous TV specials have chronicled Charlie Brown and his Peanuts baseball team, including the 1973 storyline that creator George Schultz was very proud of as it exceeded all of his expectations. Charlie wakes up in his room and he notices the sun looks like a baseball to him. Soon thereafter, everything round that he looks at, it begins to rumble baseballs. The clock, the moon, even scoops of ice cream. Bro, I've been there. I've had those symptoms myself. Charlie then develops a rash on the back of his head that resembles baseball stitchings. Fearing that he's going crazy, he visits the doctor. When he walks into the doctor's office, he has a paper bag over his head because, as he puts it, people were trying to autograph his head. And the doctor suggests that, which means Charlie Brown should attend summer camp and get his mind off the seams for a while. While with this bag still on his head, he grudgingly does what the doctor orders, Although the kids call him Sack because of the bag on his head, he finds that for some reason the gang is finally showing him uh, the respect he's always deserved. They even elect him camp president. Eventually, the rash begins to, to dissipate, and Charlie takes off the sack and sneaks out of the bunkhouse early in the morning to watch the sun rise. And Charlie wonders if the sun will look like a baseball to him. As the sun rises, there is a brilliant twist to the story. The sun no longer resembles a baseball. It now resembles Alfred E. Newman, the face of Mad Magazine. Without a sack, baseball seemed like rash or the propensity to see baseballs all around him. Charlie Brown resorts back to his unremarkable self. Instead of being camp president. The rash could have been related to the fact that he had to forfeit his team's first law, uh, first win because of a gambling scandal. Lucy convinces Charlie to let Sinus, uh, Linus' little brother Rerun join the team. The opposing pitchers, are, they're unable to hit Rerun's Eddie Goodell-like posted stamp of a strike zone. The team rallies around Rerun, the OBP machine, and they finally taste the thrill of victory. But that thrill is going to be short-lived as we found out that Rerun and Snoopy had a nickel bet on the outcome of the game, which resulted in the win becoming a forfeit loss. In 1976, it's Arbor Day Charlie Brown. Another goodwill guester results in further distress for our protagonist after learning about the meaning of Arbor Day. The gang is inspired to play the garden on the baseball field with a tree in the middle of the pitcher's mound. Peppermint Patty, Charlie's tomboy friend who always calls him Chuck, brings her team to the field to play baseball. And even though the new garden makes playing a bit more challenging, the game goes on as scheduled. The various trees growing throughout the new garden catch many of the line drives and fly balls, and the game remains deadlocked at zeros going into the very late innings. Surprisingly, the first run of the game is scored by Lucy, who actually dropped Dong. Here's what happened. Lucy, who always had a crush on Schroeder, the catcher, 
asked him, if I had a home run, will you kiss me? And Schroeder, thinking Lucy in a million years couldn't hit a home run, was horrified when she actually did it. But he's prepared to hold up his head of the deal. But thankfully, he's relieved when Lucy declines her kiss because she knows he's only doing it because he agreed to the bet, not because he's into her. Charlie Brown, he's just happy the team took the lead. The joy is short-lived as the game is called because of rain. Although the 1973 Gambling Mart game and the 1976 Rainout versus Peppermint Patty are not official victories, Charlie Brown does lead his team to two victories in 1993. In both games, Charlie Brown drops a walk-off dong in a nod to the natural. He hits both blasts versus a pitcher named Roy Ann Hobbs, whose great-grandfather was Roy Hobbs. In the second game, it's a walk-off inside the park home run that ends with Charlie and Roy Ann colliding at home plate. Later, Roy Ann tells Charlie she let him hit the two walk-offs because she has a crush on him. And Charlie's happiness is spoiled by this revelation, and he angrily tells her that Roy Hobbs is a fictional character, character and he's not even real. In 1999, it's spring training again Charlie Brown. The team again has a shot at sponsorship in a new uniform, but they have to earn them by winning the first game of the season. Miraculously, the peanut gang wins 27-26. to 26. Much like the rerun storyline, the gang has a new diminutive new player named Leland who plays center field. And because of his diminutive stature, he either gets walked or beaned. Thankfully, Leland did not engage in an illegal nickel bet. And finally, the gang has earned their uniforms. Unfortunately, Leland's new uniform is way too big for him to play, and he quits the team. And the Peanuts return to their losing ways. In 2003, Charlie Brown has assumed the GM duties for the Peanuts baseball team, and Lucy must be traded Charlie Brown. He's uh, big time into the metrics now. He lives by the philosophy of you have to give up something to get something. So in a swift and decisive move, he trades Snoopy for five players on Peppermint Patty's team. The The trade is blasted by both teams and the media. And quite frankly, Snoopy was pissed. Eventually, Charlie's bond to his dog is too tight. And he voids the trade, which was probably for the best anyway, since all the players from Patty's team vowed they would never play on a Charlie Brown team anyway. Later that season, Charlie Brown trades his nemesis, Lucy, to Peppermint Patty's squad in exchange for a girl named Marcy and a pizza pot. The trade goes awry when he realizes Marcy doesn't even play baseball. She just stands beside Charlie and he stares at him all game. And Lucy, of course, isn't getting along with Peppermint Patty's team because she's a fucking bitch. And, of course, no one can stand her scandalous ass. Eventually, this trade would be voided as well. But Charlie Brown always considered that trade a success because he got a free pizza out of the deal and Peppermint Patty did not demand that he buy her a new one. And, like I said in the beginning, Charlie Brown's resolve in the face of 
so many failures is why he's so endearing to millions of baseball fans around the world. Because at the end of the day, that is the nature of baseball. He is made to suffer because he is a character of the average baseball fan. Now, well, you know, besides, you know, the ones that root for the team of the Bronx. Besides the average Yankee fan, most of us baseball fans, we know true disappointment. We know the struggle and the loyalty it takes to stick. Winning is awesome, but it ain't funny. For every person who may be a happy winner in life, there are millions of us who are losers, who use funny stories to console ourselves through the pain of defeat and coming up short. Charlie Brown, he may get down, but he always bounces back with renewed vigor, just like in real life. The string of failures failures help you to appreciate those days that you come away with a rare victory. His determination to keep trying is Bobby Roode for Charlie Brown. You'll never appreciate the glory the same way as the person who has experienced loss. Good grief. And that, boys and girls, is the story of Charlie Brown and his baseball career with the Sparkyville Peanuts. Before I exit stage left, let's take a look at those Charlie Brown stats. Four-year baseball career with the Sparkyville Peanuts. Charlie Brown has a minus six war. Let's start with the pitching. 74 games, 501 innings pitched, with a 3 and 71 record. And a bowling shoe ugly, 75.66 ERA and a 6.85 whip. In batting, Charlie Brown played 74 games with a 296 plate appearances, one home run, eight RBIs, two doubles, zero triples, three stolen bases, six times caught. With a 204, 227, 223 slash, 460 OPS, and a 14 OPS plus. And Charlie Brown, now in his 70s, is still, you know, he enjoys watching baseball, watching his Giants. Whenever his beloved Giants goes yard, that ball is out of here! Snoop! And even old Woodstock, they like to do their happy dance together, baby. But most of the time, it's spent by the window watching his dog in Woodstock play on top of the doghouse in his yard and thinking about all those classic days he spent with the gang playing baseball. His best friend, Linus, married his sister. And he had three baseball crazy kids of their own who love to address their Uncle Charlie up the mound with line drive smashes off their aluminum bats. Who knew Pigpen cleaned up so well? He, he's now a top model for GQ Magazine. He lives like the Playboy life out in Italy now. Schroeder took a vow of si- silence, became a Shaolin monk. He lives somewhere in Tibet. He loves the solitude. Marcy and Peppermint Patty began dating each other senior year, and they've been ep- inseparable ever since. They rent the house from Charlie that he grew up in as a domestic partner. And Patty still calls him Chuck, and he still calls her Peppermint. Every Friday night during the summer, Charlie and Snoopy go over to watch baseball and eat pizza. As for Lucy, well, no one is sure what happened to her. She was carjacked, kidnapped back in 2010. 
The kidnappers demanded $100 for a return, so Charlie sold all 30 of his Joe Shiabotnik baseball cards and his beloved Mickey Mantle card to come up with the cash. When he went to make the drop, he saw a letter that said, Keep their $100, kid. We're leaving $100 to you instead. She said some very mean things about you, and she's not worth your money. And no one ever heard from Lucy again. Charlie went back to buy his cards. He bought all the Shiabotnik cards back for $100, but the guy wanted $200 back for Mickey Mantle. Good grief. So, Charlie Brown, he left the card shop uh, slightly disappointed, but at least he was able to get his Shiabotnik's back. Backwards K-Pod is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Please remember to listen, share, download. If you're able to rate and review on the platform you are using... Please do so as you see fit. I ain't scared. I do what I do when I do it. And I do it better than anybody else. Thanks for stopping by this BKP bonus pod listening adventure. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed telling it. I'll return on Wednesday with my weekly joint. Feel free to stop on by my sandbox. Join me in building sandcastles where I'm going to talk about the one and only, the great Larry Chipper. Jones. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod where we collect ball players and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch like a bored AF, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillebrand told me in our one-on-one interview, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. See you Wednesday, Steamhead Freaks. Peace. Howdy, y'all. This is Big Tech's Gage Geek. Executive producer of Backwards K Pop. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish fork. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fish and Hand Cleaner is an all natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap, only to touch my eyes half hour later, and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no base boxes. Well, we also have a hand cleaner, specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection 
as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290 to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning. Crawfishhandcleaner.com